okay, so you were wearing that jacket that you came uh, home from the chamois time tour in Badlands. You were wearing that in the pub. Yeah. I, ha- I had to light a match to that when I got back. It smells so bad. When I was listening to your beautiful tones. Oh, <laughs> wow. You gave me a compliment. <laughs> that rarely it happens. I'm glad we... <laughs> Yeah, I know. There's no free... In- Nothing's free anymore. Six days a week, the Roman podcast is free. <laughs> Welcome to the Roman Cycling Podcast. My name is Anthony Walsh. Six days a week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey towards health, happiness, and longevity. Now let's get into the show. It's episode 587 of the Roman Cycling Podcast. It's Friday and Sarah's back with newbie questions. Today's podcast, it's sponsored by Elements. When I was on the Irish team a few years ago, we would constantly get tested for our hydration levels. Now, this was done through a urine sample in the morning and in the evening, and oh my gosh, it was difficult to hit a perfect hydration score. You see, hydration isn't just about drinking water. Having proper hydration status means having adequate fluids present in your body. This fluid balance depends on many factors, including intake and excretion of electrolytes. For us athletes, when we sweat, the primary electrolyte we lose is called sodium. Cyclists can lose up to 7 grams per day. When sodium isn't replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. I've been using elements to manage my hydration levels and I've seen huge improvements. I know that personally, if I'm hydrated, I sleep better and my energy levels are boosted. I'm in good company as Element is used by US Olympic teams, NFL, NBA and dozens of professional sports teams across the board. And you can try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. Plus, Element wants to give you a free gift with any purchase through the link drinklmnt.com forward slash roadmancycling. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash roadmancycling. I'm going to leave the link in the description below. You'll get a free Element sample pack, which includes one pack of every flavor, which is perfect for anyone who wants to try out all their flavors in one go. Sarah, welcome back to the hot seat for another Friday. It's great to be invited back again. I enjoyed your solo cast about the Tour de France route last, was it Saturday? Probably the first solo cast of mine that you've ever listened to. I had to ask you about 10 times to listen to it because I'm looking for critique on my solo cast to see what I can do to improve them. And it totally took me out of mood. I used it like warming up for a really hard session on the trainer. I needed to be listening to like hardcore, like you know, Rage Against the Machine or some hardcore gangster rap and I was listening to your beautiful tones. Oh, <laughs> wow, you gave me a compliment. <laughs> that rarely it happens. I'm glad, we, <laughs> I'm glad we caught this on the podcast. I'll have to listen to that if I'm ever having a bad moment. Anthony's saying something nice to me. It's been a big week on the podcast. I had an episode which I really enjoyed. I always, it's like picking your favourite child. I always struggle to pick what my favourite episode is. So I suffer from a lot of recency bias. But my recent podcast with Mikhail Delagrange, the founder of Amani Project out of Kenya, was a really enjoyable podcast to record. We got some amazing feedback on it. Yeah, that was incredible. The whole the, the whole ethos, what they're trying to do is incredible. And um, yeah, I'd really advise everyone go back and listen to it. We always get that sort of quote from, you know, these gurus 
to think big and when you have a big vision that it attracts big characters around and Mikhail has the vision to change the face of cycling and when you have a vision that's that big you pull these extraordinary people into your world and he's done just that he has this amazing ecosystem of brands partners sponsors that are all coming in with that grand mission to change the face of cycling so I can't wait to see how it pans out and I'm definitely going to be like his biggest cheerleader and evangelist for it here on the podcast yeah absolutely and it would be so amazing if you could perhaps go and do the migration gravel race in Kenya next year that would, I would happily be your swanior for that race <laughs> uh, other big news we're on the cusp of uh trial change but quite a big change in the roadman podcast so myself and sarah have been talking a lot about ways we can improve the experience for listeners and viewers and one of the things i wanted to try was recording in-person interviews on a trial basis very difficult to do this in dublin because we don't have a lot of our type of guests knocking around dublin so there was only really one obvious choice to base ourselves to do this podcast and it's a studio in Girona. So we're going to trial that from maybe the middle of November onwards. Yeah, so Anthony did a in-person interview months ago with Paddy Houlihan and the feedback, we were just blown away by the quality. I think meeting in person and chatting and having that like, you know, eyeball to eyeball kind of chats. Mano, oh, mano. Mano, mano. It just brings so much more to the conversation. So I'm so, so excited to bring this to Girona and uh, see the quality that we're going to start bringing to the podcast from there. We have a lot of moving pieces, I must say, before we can put this in place. Because I'm only starting to understand what it takes to shoot in person like that. When we had Paddy here, it was a little bit of a ghetto setup. I used my normal setup, one camera, but to do it properly actually requires multiple cameras, multiple angles. So if there's anyone listening to the podcast that's a really cool videographer, especially if you're based in Girona, hit me up with a DM over on Instagram and let's chat. And as I was just saying to you, Anthony, maybe a hairstylist or <laughs> makeup artist. <laughs> I hope you talk about yourself. I know, I'm not. <laughs> Get a bit of that shine off. Look, I'm just in from training. Like, would you give me a break? You're wearing pajamas. Shh, don't tell anyone that. Okay, the training's going well, Anthony. Training's going well. I rode the road bike for the first time in about two weeks. I've been rocking the 51 gravel bike for a while now and I got it and I just fell in love and I've been riding it every day. But I switched back to my road bike and oh my God, the road bike feels loose when you haven't been on in a while. The narrow tires, I'm on 23 mil tires, the rim brakes, they don't stop, especially in the rain. It takes a while to get back. I felt dangerous for a little bit. <laughs> You're out of control. <laughs> yeah, I've just been riding the gravel bike and I, I'm still so in love with that bike. Every time I get onto it, I'm like... A kid on Christmas morning just after unboxing it. Love it. It's so much fun to go out on it. Anthony, we have been working really hard on another project and we're both going all in on this at the moment. Yeah, it's kind of part of the YouTube, sorry, the Girona move to in-person. We're trying to bring more of a visual elements to the podcast. And for a long time, I've had a YouTube channel. I've been on YouTube for years and I've dipped in and out of it. But we've been throwing the podcast up there as a little bit of a token placeholder, putting it up there without much love. But we're going to relaunch the YouTube channel. We're going to splice up so I think they're going to be 30 minute videos. 30 minute videos. So we're yeah. going to have 30 minute videos of every podcast, but the best bits of the podcast. 
should add a cool new visual component and that is getting relaunched in the next week or so. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. So everybody, please go and check that out and tell everybody about it as well because we're working really hard on it. Anthony, this week, before we move on to newbie questions, I found a really good article on Velo News. Now, I know a lot of the um, cycling online, you know, magazines and stuff have come under a lot of fire because of all the paywalls that you now have to get it's a past. nightmare. Yeah, I know. There's no free, and nothing's free anymore. Six days a week, the Roman podcast is free. <laughs> but I did, I, I found this absolutely amazing and really interesting article, if anyone wants to check it out on Velo News, where they essentially go through a power analysis and they find out which Grand Tour was the hardest in 2022. So they dive into the power numbers of the best climbers in the world at the Giro, the Tour de France and La Vuelta España. And it's really, really, really cool to see the numbers that these guys are putting out and the conclusion of which is the hardest Grand Tour. So I won't do any spoilers. Go and check that out. No, tell us who, which is the hardest Grand Tour. No, Anna, go and check it out. Go check it out. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's a brilliant, brilliant article. It's very nuanced. I'll tell you what that doesn't factor in and which guests that I have time and time again on to the podcast talk about the logistical differences between riding a Giro, a Vuelta and a Tour de France. Tour de France is a very manicured event made for mainstream blue chip sponsors and a lot of corporates. So it's very well designed and it's very well curated. A stage finish, you know, the stage start the following day is close to the stage finish the previous day. Hotels are as good as can possibly be in France. The Giro is just wild. Some days they finish stages in the Giro d'Italia and have six, seven hour bus transfers to get to the start of the next stage. They're ruined by the time they get there. Not eating dinner till 11, 12 o'clock at night, massages. It is wild, wild west. I bet you your fancy article didn't tell you that. No, it didn't. I don't, it didn't take that into account at all. But I do cover that, did cover that on my podcast last Saturday about how the Tour de France in 2023 is particularly compact. So if you were going to go and follow that, you could just kind of base yourself in the centre and go and catch all the stage races. I thought we plugged that podcast already. I've gone back to it again. Double plug, Shame okay. self-promotion. <laughs> okay, here we go. Anthony, while looking online on some forums about what makes a good bike rider, there were a lot of comments about being smooth on the bike and that being a good wheel, in inverted commas, is the hallmark of a good rider. How does someone look smooth on the bike? How do I become a good wheel? And what else, in your opinion, makes a good bike rider? Before you answer this, you just look like you're at home on the bike. There's, you know, really good riders in our club. I'm thinking about you, like Sean McKenna. It, fe- it, looks, it looks like the bike is an extension on your body. And it's just working in unison. It's so smooth. It's lovely to look at. I think this listener is basically, what is it? You have it. How do, how do I get it? How does this the rider je get <laughs> Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, the va-va-voom. It's an interesting question because Zwift and articles like that Velo News one you just referenced, they've made us quite a strong rider or a fast rider to a good rider. But I think almost anyone, like we work, you know, across the coaching company behind the podcast, we take people in and we work them through this kind of five-part framework of training, strength and conditioning, nutrition, biohacking and motivation. I think you can take almost anyone who's motivated and isn't going to miss sessions, bring them through that framework and bring them out the far end, a strong rider. 
that's not all there is to being a good rider. A good rider isn't a strong rider and we've conflated those two and we've confused those two in recent times with Zwift and power to weight analysis. Anyone can become a strong rider, but it takes years of practice and poise to become a good rider, to understand things like not throwing your bike back when you get out of the saddle, to not chop and change lines going through the corner, to break the right amounts of your carrying speed out of the corner rather than into the corner. These things take a long time. And I was recently talking to somebody about the gear restrictions. Junior gears have now been abolished across the junior category by the UCI, but some federations haven't gone with that restriction. So the French Federation and the Belgian Federation have decided to still go by junior gear restrictions. And the reason being that we have our whole past junior life to get strong at pushing a big gear, but we have a very narrow window up until we're 16 or 17 years old to learn to be supple on the bike, to pedal really nice gears. That's one of the elements that goes into being a good bike rider. But it's just surrounding yourself with good bike riders, always asking yourself the question like, you know, watch the good lads was a, a mantra I got really early. The good lads do stuff differently. Anytime they change their rain cape, anytime they change from the left of the group to the right of the group, try and take in all that through, you know, deep concentration at looking what they're doing and just osmosis by being around them. What do they wear? What time do they get up? When do they arrive for the group spin? What tires are they using? Are they using mud guards? Are they using saddlebags? Just watch the good lads. Yeah, I think that's brilliant advice. That's exactly what I would have said. And it's funny because I often hear older riders, you start when you started riding, you didn't come up through the ranks. Your dad didn't put you into a club when you you're 11, 12, you kind of came to cycling a little bit later on in life. And there's some famous stories of Anthony and his uh, training partner, Casso, when they first came into cycling and they had engines, they had big engines and they were out there putting the miles in and they were strong, but they were dangerous. <laughs> and, dangerous oh, I've heard dangerous. <laughs> and it's taken you the, you know, years and experience. And as you said, watching those good lads to home that skill and look so smooth and so elegant on the bike. It's showing up. I done a podcast last week about a secret superpower and it's just showing up. You hang around the barber shop long enough, you'll get a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> okay, question number two. Hi, Anthony and Sarah. It's pelting snow already where I am. Winter has well and truly arrived and I'm now facing into my first ever winter of indoor training. I just moved here. So I'm going to be fully embracing Zwift. My question is about ERG mode in Zwift. Is this a good idea to use? I like using it as you just get on and pedal, but surely there are some negatives, right? Is there a time and a place to use ERG and a time to absolutely avoid it? You all, you call this erg. You call this erg mode, don't you? Erg. Erg. <laughs> I don't like erg at all. I think it's a total false economy here. It's not realistic. The idea of training indoors is to mimic training outdoors to get us those adaptations. And one of the big adaptations we get is understanding our body, learning how to pace, learning how to pedal. Erg mode dynamically adjusts the resistance for you based on your cadence. So if you stick in 300 watts, it will keep you at 300 watts regardless if you're doing 100 cadence or 60 cadence. That's not realistic. That's not how outdoor training works. You need to understand cadence yourself and change the resistance yourself based on gears. 
I recommend all our athletes don't use erg mode whatsoever on their training. I'm not a fan at all. I never even knew that erg mode existed. You never told me about this. Probably, you probably left it out on purpose. And same with my coach, Aaron. He never told me about erg mode. I stumbled across it by accident when I was on the uh, Wahoo Kicker a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, this is amazing. This is deadly. I just had to turn my brain off. The bike is literally doing a lot of the work for me. I mean, I obviously well, I'm pedaling. Still I'm still pedaling, but yeah, I didn't have to, I don't know, it was just, it was just great. But I can totally see how you're not actually building up your skills of self-regulation, pacing, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're spoiled for choice because we have the Watt bike, the Stages SB20 and the Wahoo Kicker in the house. Mm. And I've for a long many years used the Watt bike and there's no erg mode availability on that. I'm not a mad fan of the Wahoo, so now I do most of my stuff on the stages SB20, and that does have erg mode on it. The only times I've used erg mode where I find it a little bit beneficial are Zwift races, but even at that, I just think it's a bad habit to get into, so I'd be like, er, Just forget no. about erg, okay. All right, so let's go on to the last question. Hi, guys. I listened to Sarah's podcast from a few weeks ago on cyclocross is another plug (laughs) and I'm very tempted to give it a go I've looked up some nearby races I'm in the UK and there's plenty for beginners my question is if I target a race that's six weeks away is there any particular type of training that I can do to prepare myself I guess adding some running in and some explosive efforts please help any advice is much appreciated Yeah, it's a good question because a lot of people are transitioning into cyclocross and with a lot of the training questions, I feel like a cop-out because they're difficult to answer because you don't really know what starting point this guy's at. Has he just come through a full road season and taken a break? Has he come through a full road season and not taken a break? But in general, the demands of training should start to mimic the demands of the event as you get closer. So six weeks out from stuff is when I would start to mimic the demands of the event. So if you start thinking about what are the demands of a cyclocross race, do you know what race you're going to? Do you know what the type of course is like? Is there run-up sections? Is there sand sections? Start building specific sessions around that. Regardless of what type of cyclocross race it's going to be, you're going to have a start, a standing stop start to full gas for position. And then the first four or five minutes are going to be basically a VO2 effort to hold that position. You're going to have periods of low cadence through muck. You're going to have periods of shouldering the bike and jumping over barriers. You're going to have periods of run-ups. So start to design sessions that are built with that in mind or else give us a buzz and we'll hook you up with some coaching. Yeah, exactly. You can pop an email to me and I'll set up a call at sarah at roadmancycling.com. And send your questions in there as well. We've had loads of questions, but keep them coming in because they're all absolutely brilliant. Um, Okay, so let's move on to tech. Okay, Anthony, what would you do if you were on the top of a climb, you're about to descend and it was freezing and your swan you were there? What happens? Newspaper. They hand you a newspaper. <laughs> well, this company, Albion Burners, they have come up with what I'm going to call the millennial version of a newspaper, that old trick, that old cheap trick. And they are now selling these pieces of insulated fabric that you can carry in your pocket. And at the moment that you really need it when you're descending, you just, it's basically the same size as a newspaper. You shove it down in between, on your chest, in between your bib shorts and it keeps you warm. What do you think of that? Don't 50 see quid. catching on. 50 quid. <laughs> Is it, I don't know, why not throw a rain cape on? 
Yeah, I don't know. Well, like basically they said that this is strategically insulating key parts of your body when the temperature can keep you rolling without adding bulk. And this is something that you should kind of keep in your saddlebag for moments like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't hate the idea. It is a, it's a pretty novel concept. I'm trying to think where I'd put it. Like I wouldn't put it in a saddlebag because then you got to stop at the top of the climb and freeze your balls off while you try and root for this insulation piece. So that kind of defeats the purpose of it. You're losing all your heat. You haven't gone up the climb rooting around your saddlebag. Maybe in the back of your jacket pocket, depending on how bulky it is. I think this is a good idea, particularly for, you know, the ultra packing, the, the, you know, the longer ones, maybe put it in your top tube bag or something so it's ready just to grab when you're getting a little bit cold. I don't know. Bike packing's all about bringing less, not more. Yeah, but you had a huge, big, bulky coat with your bike packing. This could kind of be an alternative. It's just like a little section but of But it's material. not because bike packing's all about, like when I lost the flip-flops, I didn't even replace the flip-flops because it's like bike packing teaches you the game's about subtraction, not addition. Mm-hmm. So the jacket that I have is also the jacket I'd wear going out for dinner, going out for drinks in the pub that night. And it happens to be the jacket I'd wear on the descent. I didn't bring a rain cape because it took space. So anything you have with you has to have many applications. So unless this is also a blanket that you can sleep in or it's also, <laughs> or else you can also eat it, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe it's an edible uh, insulator. Okay, so you were wearing that jacket that you came uh, home from the chamois time tour in Badlands. You were wearing that in the pub. Yeah. I, ha- I had to light a match to that when it got back. It smells so bad. Yeah, no, I didn't wear it riding very much. I wore it on a couple of descents, like we came down okay. off the Tourmalet at dark or maybe early in the morning for the first half an hour, but it's super warm, so you can't wear it that much, but it's... Everything has to double up from multi-purpose. Yeah, everything has to multitask. Yeah, so I don't know. I'd have to see the blanket. Maybe it does fit in your pocket super, super light. And you're going to a place like Girona where it's nice weather, but the descents are a little bit cold at this time of year. Maybe you could pull it out and use it. But I just feel like the old school, you know, plastic cheap rain capes, like they're brilliant the boil for in the bags. Yeah, yeah the, the boil still in the bags. Me. And they're tiny as well. They pack up really small. Okay, I think that's it, Anthony. That's a wrap for another week. Yeah, I'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.